Welcome to our grandparents' teachings, a storytelling program hosted by Chuck Miller in collaboration with the Sitka Tribe of Alaska, Art Change, and KCAW. This storytelling program will help keep Clinkett stories alive through community education. Join us the first Tuesday of every month from 7 to 8 p.m. as we celebrate the rich cultural heritage of this land. Welcome to our grandparents' teachings. In this next episode, we'd like to focus a little bit on uh, to living a good life. How did our people live a good life in the ancient days? Uh, how are our people living a good life today, having one world, uh, one foot in each world? Uh, today we have some guest speakers that are going to talk a little bit about that and uh, how we can all live a better life. Uh, we have in our studios today, Ichtik Ish, Mr. Steve Johnson. We also have Shaganasta, uh, Bob Sam. And we also have Lakota Hardin, who's going to share with us a little bit about what she does in our community. I hope that you enjoy our show today and that it, it uh, brings out some f- good feelings and ways of healing that will help you in the future. Enjoy the show. The next song that you're going to be hearing is from our Sikka Native Education Program archives. Uh, the recording is done at the Sikka Native Education Program classrooms with the uh, cultural staff. Uh, the ones that are in the recording are Khatat, Charlie Joseph Sr., teaching the, uh, the other teachers, Dastia, Ethel Mackinnon, Kauduk Etla, Vida Davis, Kuch Tla, Ann Johnson, and others, these songs to the younger people. So this was probably done in the maybe mid to late uh, 1970s. The two songs that they're going to sing are from the Daktlawedi clan, the Kilawel clan. Uh, Charlie Joseph said that he learned the history of these two, what they call migration songs, um, from an, a gentleman by the name of Gawats, who was a very older gentleman of the Kilawel clan here in Sitka. Uh, so these songs are their migration story songs. It belongs to them. But these are the two songs that they started teaching the young people when the program first started. It comes in two parts. The first song, uh, it talks about how uh, they paddled under a glacier 
uh, not knowing that they were going to make it to the other side, uh, a, a raft, a canoe of older ladies that went in there, uh, and then they made it to the other side, and when they got to the other side, they composed this other song, which is more of a happy, upbeat song. The words to that song are, uh, You're going to uh, push the canoe out. The second verse is, means steady the canoe, steady the canoe. And these first two songs were taught to the young people, um, and it was a staple of the Qajahin dancers for many years, and it is still one of their uh, uh, pride pieces that the Daqtlawedi people have allowed them to do. We thank the Daqtlawedi Kilawel clan for allowing us to uh, learn these songs from them. I hope that you enjoy. We have a special guest in our studios today. I'd like to welcome him. He's one of my friends. His Tlingit name is Ichtik Ish, and his English name is uh, Steve Johnson, and I'd like to welcome him here. Thank you for coming. <laughs> Would you like to introduce yourself to our to our listeners today? Ah, Tlingit Khenachsa. Ah. Ichtik Ish, you can do us all. Tlingit Khenachsa, Kiksadi, Ayah. Took a hit, Point House. I, uh, Akishas, Kaglantan, Anyakaya Ketan, uh, Kashish Kuhas, Ichtik Ish, AP Johnson, played Ka Khenach. Um, I think it name is Ichtik Ish, as Donak Sayach had said. I'm from the Kiksadi clan from the Point House. My father, as people, are the Kaglantan. And my grandfather's people are the Kiksadi. And I'm named after my grandfather, and he gave me his name um, when I was born. And so he gave me a lot more than just his name. He also gave me 
a lot of information and a lot of knowledge. And he passed away when I was fairly young. But before he did, he took a lot of time to record things on tape and to leave lots of notes and journals and things for information that he felt like myself and future generations would need. And so that's one of the reasons why I'm here today is to talk about some of that and to pass on some of that information. So I really appreciate it. Well, we're very glad to have you here. And uh, we know that your grandfather was very uh, learned in both uh, realms of not only our Shlingit Hakusti, our way of life, the way we do things as our Shlingit people, but he was very educated from what I understand in terms of global literate culture, uh, the Western way of thoughts and practices. Uh, as a student of Dr. Sheldon Jackson at the industrial school back in the day, and he's a very much educated man from what I understand and from what I've heard. And I know he shared quite a bit of different types of, of our history, not only just the protocols and things, how things are done, the way our people have done it for thousands of years, but he also shared a lot of stories. And I've, I've had the, uh, the benefit of listening to some of his stories. And for those of you, our listeners, that don't know Mr. Johnson's grandfather, um, if you've never heard him, he's very, very uh, methodical speaker, very kind, soft-spoken, and, but very slow. Um, that's not uh, negative of, of how he spoke and how his demeanor was. It was very peaceful. And uh, I appreciated that about him because it made you really listen to what he was trying to share with everyone his teachings. And so we're very grateful that you are here. And we know that you have a lot of his uh, personal archival uh, recordings and things of that nature. And I was just wondering, uh, since we're talking about one of the stories that he shared was the, the cannibal giant story, which is a very powerful story. I've heard it many times and I, I, it, still, it still resonates with me, within me today. And uh, I just wanted to know what, what was your what did you learn from your grandfather when he shared that story with you? And what would you like our listeners to know about that story? And why is it so important to you and our people? And why did he feel the need to share it and, and give it to people so that they know about it? Well, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't alive when that uh, particular recording was made. Um, so what I know about it is, you know, from my parents and from other people in the community, but um, as I understand it, in the middle 80s, alcohol was a very, very serious problem uh, in this town and to our people. And I've heard that at the time, the average life expectancy of an adult male was like 40 years, and that so many people were dying of alcohol, suicide, uh, other related things. And that became part of the impetus for revitalizing the culture and that you had people that had no identity and no self-worth, self-esteem and no real application to modern life. I mean, you know, you have people that grew up with culture and grew up with these things and then all of a sudden they were pulled away from them by education, by civilization and by tools of colonialism. And so a lot of the older people in particular, my grandfather 
and Charlie Joseph and a lot of the people who had very deep cultural knowledge and understandings decided that in order to save the future generations, they needed to revitalize these things and not accept that the new civilization would be without them. Because there was a great amount of of conflict in the time in the early 1900s, particularly in identity. You know, populations of Alaska were divided by different religions, by different educational backgrounds, by different schools of thought. I mean, some people cut their hair and wore suits. Some people retreated to the wilderness. Some people, you know, built little cottages and, you know, lived the life that they chose. And there was a lot of, lot of identity crisis. The one thing we know is that trauma affects different people differently. And some people turn to substances, some develop personality disorders. There's all kinds of different things. But the one thing that was happening in Sitka is a lot of people were dying as a result of alcohol. And at the time, my mom was a drug and alcohol counselor at Scioto. And being that she was married to my dad, she was able to approach my grandfather and say, you know, Father, please please help us with something that we can use to help the people. And he thought about it for a great amount of time and decided that using that story in that manner would be the best because it was like we were consuming ourselves from the inside. You know, this large, unforeseeing thing was taking us one by one. And you'll hear in the story of the cannibal giant, you'll hear how that happens, and you'll hear how the people were uncertain of what was happening, but they definitely knew there was something happening. And the day before he recorded that story, a person of his own clan had drowned in the harbor in A and B. They'd fallen off the dock after leaving the pub downtown. And, and so if you look at the video and you see he's all teary-eyed and things, that's why. You know, he's thinking about his clan brother and nephew that drowned. And, you know, I feel like I feel like a lot of these things are just the beginning. You know, the story and the revitalization of culture and things, these are just the beginnings of coming back to where we were and coming back to our own identity and to our own people. And I'm glad to, you know, help with whatever I can. So, Excellent. We're going to have Bob tell the story now. Yes, well, we're going to have Bob share the story with everyone. And Bob mentioned that he learned this story directly from your grandfather. And it's a very powerful story. Um, thank you for sharing your thoughts on uh, what your, grandparent, your grandfather taught, uh, not only yourself, but the people around him that he cared for, his, uh, his kinsmen, his village people, etc. So we thank you for sharing what, you, what your experience was with your grandfather, Oh, Bob had told me one time, he's like, your, your grandfather told me this story. And he said, I was sitting on the sidewalk, and he came up to me, and he said, Bob, 
you got to do something about that chip on your shoulder. I'm going to tell you a story, and someday you'll make use of it. And so that's how Bob came to the Cannibal Giant story and really proliferated it, you know, through theater and through his own storytelling and things. But I think, I think that was definitely a turning point in his life. Good afternoon. My name is Bob Sam. My Tlingit name is Shagunasta. I am a raven, dog salmon clan. I am a child of a wolf and a grandchild of a killer whale. And this is how it sounds. Shagunasta, you cut to a sulk. Tlinadi ayachat, ka guan tan yadi. Dach tlawadi dat gunk, tlinket ani ayachat. I am tlinket. Tlinket means human being. So I am human being, just like you. There's this village in the olden day that was living in hard times, bad times. Once it was a great village with powerful clans and lots of people. They were the happiest people you would ever meet. Plenty of food to eat. Proud people. What happened to them? A cannibal got them. Someplace far behind this village, there lived a giant of a man who was a cannibal. Crept into the village at night, carried off the women and children, killed them all carried them back to his house and ate them like animals. And all that was left were these three brothers. They talked among themselves, but they didn't know what to do. If the cannibal got the three of them too, it'd only be a matter of time before he went to the other villages or on to the rest of the world. They had to stop him.
the oldest brother went out to hunt. When the oldest brother went out to hunt, he did not come back. When the oldest brother did not come back, they knew. They stayed close together, armed and ready, and they tried to keep each other awake and alert. But days passed, and nights, and sooner or later, they had to sleep. The next brother was taken in his sleep. And the youngest brother was the only one left. He went out into the woods and fell asleep, dreamed a dream. And in the dream he heard an everlasting voice talking to him. The voice told him, if he killed that cannibal, he should treat the body the way he would have someone he did not hate. Because if he didn't, the cannibal would return. When he woke up, he remembered the dream. He went to the houses of his four uncles and he took arrows from each house. He remembered the wisdom he had gotten from those uncles when they were alive. And to him, that's what these arrows represent. Wisdom. He went out to do battle with that cannibal. He shot those arrows in the region of the eye. His heart and his foot. But that didn't kill the cannibal. The cannibal knocked him out. Put him into a bag. And dragged him back to his house. He was surprised to wake up at all, to find himself still alive there in the house of the cannibal. He looked around and saw this huge pile of skulls and human bones. And right in the middle of it, he saw this monster eating a horrible meal. 
and he thought to himself, He is eating the fat and the grease of my people. He is getting fat by pre-feasting on us. At that moment, he ran out the door. He ran out of that dark house of the cannibal and even out into the darker woods. The branches whipped against his face, cutting him, scratching him. He ran until he came to a cliff up above the sea. There were alders just out over the edge, and the young man leaped for one, grabbed one, and far below him the dark sea crashed against the rocks. The cannibal saw him hanging there, but he was just out of his reach. So he leaped and grabbed a branch near that young man, but he was too big, and the branch was dead, and it broke, and he fell far, far down to the beach where he was killed on the rocks. In those days, we used to cremate our dead, and the young man remembered how we should treat the body of his enemy with respect. So he was burning it the way he would have someone that he had loved. But as he sat alone on that beach, he remembered how the cannibal had injured him, how he had destroyed his brothers, and everyone he had ever loved. And his heart was filled with rage and grief. And he said to himself, he died too easily. He didn't suffer enough. And he had this idea he was going to hurt that cannibal even though he was already dead. There hadn't been any such thing as mosquitoes in the world before that, and every spark of the funeral pyre turned into one, hungry for blood, and they would always be with us to torment us. And that's how mosquitoes came to be. Today, we tell that story a different way. Now the name of that monster is not cannibal, but alcohol drugs, hatred, 
anger, of whatever form it takes, those monsters never go away. Some we create, some we do not. But we can always fight them if we remember who we are and where we get our strength. Yigoyahuan. We will always win. This story, an ancient story, it has shown our people how to fight what must be fought. There's power in it. Live a good life. Ganeshtish. Thank you for listening to You just got done listening to one of the ancient stories about the cannibal giant uh, told by uh, Mr. Bob Sam through the teachings of Ish, Mr. Uh, A.P. Johnson. And again, we have in our studio his grandson, uh, his namesake, Mr. Steve Johnson, Ich And I just wanted to sa- uh, ask you, what what are your thoughts about um, what you learned from the story and what you'd like our listeners to know about that particular story? Well, I'm going to tell you something very personal. And when my grandfather was a young man, he had a little brother. And his father, my great-grandfather, Taco, you know, he liked to drink at times. And my grandfather's little brother would often sleep in the same bed as his parents. And one night, my great-grandfather came home intoxicated, and he passed out. And when he woke up, that little child was underneath him deceased. And so he made my grandfather promise that no matter what he did with life, that he not drink and that he dedicate part of his life to preventing death, harm, and trauma from people drinking. And so that really played a big part in the person that he became. And his parents died not long after. And he was an orphan and went to Sheldon Jackson and camped out on the doorstep until they would let him in. And they finally did. And there's not one of us in this world that are perfect. I mean, I think sometimes when we, when we think about people, particularly people that pass on, we have this tendency to idealize them and to just paint all the good things 
but he was a man who who struggled with his own demons too and some of that gets passed on gets passed on to my father and then it gets passed on to me and when you think about these things that hurt us and these things that live within us i mean it's it's really hard to recognize them it's really hard to see them and it's even harder to want to do something about it and to want to fix it and oftentimes what happens is people become parents and they decide, God, I know these things aren't good, but I want to do better for my kids. And that, you know, becomes part of their desire to become better people. But we don't have to wait to that point. We can become better people sooner and greater. And the first thing it takes is to, to recognize that there is a problem and I feel like so often we just kind of like anything that deals with mental health or depression or not feeling good or trauma, people run away from, mm-hmm. you know. If you were to see somebody on the sidewalk now and they have a cast on their arm and you would say, oh, gosh, what happened? And they say, oh, I slipped and I fell. And like, oh, it's horrible. You know, I'm sorry. Can I help you? You know, but you tell somebody yeah, I'm feeling depressed. They're like, oh, yep. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not touching that one mm-hmm. down and they kind of walk away. But I think we really need to, we really need to talk about these things. We really need to think about them and we really need to think about them within ourselves. And, you know, I, like most people, I, have my own things and my own trauma and things to think about and to deal with and to reconcile and to heal from. And nobody's going to do it for me. You know, it's up to you. And so these, these things begin with us and they begin with you. And I think we really need to be more comfortable talking about them and be more comfortable talking to each other about them, you know, and I think particularly for us as men, I think women are a little bit better at expressing their emotions and, you know, talking with their friends and family about them. You know, you can ask another man how he's feeling. Oh, fine. Good. Oh, I got to go work on the car now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the way it is. <laughs> but these things hurt just like a broken arm hurts. And they have a very real impact to our life. And if you look at a lot of the problems that people have, substance abuse, alcohol, drugs, violence, I mean, all these things are all rooted in trauma. And until we start to work on ourselves, they will continue to be. So I think now the new, the new generation of the story is not that the mosquitoes are eating us from the outside but they're eating us from the inside now and that it's up to us to take charge of these things and to ask the everlasting one ask the everlasting spirit for the help for the guidance for the wisdom 
Today in our studio, we have another special guest. We have Miss Lakota Hardin, who is here to talk with all of you um, and little, talk a little bit more about the story that Mr. Bob Sam had shared with us and the connection that it has with our people with uh, drugs and alcohol and other issues that come about. But first of all, I'd like to welcome Lakota to our studio, and I'd like to ask if you would, if you would be so kind to introduce yourself to our audience. Tashina Skawa Imanchiapi, Miama Lakota, Nahochunk. I'm also daughter of Kaguantan. Um, my Lakota name is White Shell Woman, Tashina Skawi. I'm also known as Lakota Harden, or some of my friends who grew up here on the island with me call me Cody. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, I come from the middle of Turtle Island, the heart of Turtle Island, the Black Hills region, the Hisapa. But as a child, um, eight years old, right out of boarding school, my mother moved us here and um, married Albert Frank Jr., who's Kaguantan. And we lived our childhood here on this island. And um, this this water knows me. These mountains know me, you know. So it's home to me. And um, as an older person, I wanted to come back home. So here I am. And I've been living back in Shitka for six years now. And uh, my daughter and some of my grandchildren are here with me as well. So, mm-hmm. Well, it's very good to have you in the studio. We very much appreciate your time. So I know that you've been a part of our community for a long time and at your own communities. You've seen a lot of heartache and heartbreak with drugs and alcohol and emotional abuse and all these other aspects that are negative. Um, maybe if you'd like to share a little bit with our audience what you would like to share with them about what you do nowadays and what you do to help our Native people. I think um, part of what has happened in my lifetime was that I was raised biculturally, I I say, Mm -hmm. because I learned a lot about white culture living in Sitka. Mm -hmm. Um, Being at the elementary school over on Japonski and then being at Sitka High, I had to learn to think like non-Native people think. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> to be able to get along, to be able to walk around. And um, no matter where we were, there were some things that were similar, no matter what kind of native we were, mm-hmm. is that the oppression, the internalized oppression was there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kept wondering how that happened. You know, wh- why are we hard on each other? Why are we hard on ourselves? And that, as a young, at a young age... I started to realize some things. And one of the things that I did early on as a teenager was choose to not take part in alcohol or drugs Mm -hmm. because I had made that commitment to our ancestors that I was not going to use those things because that was what I deducted was that was the poison that Mm -hmm. killed, you know, is killing us Mm -hmm. to this day. And they don't even have to try and destroy us. We're destroying ourselves by using this. So I looked at alcohol and looked at our traditional teachings of what it is and why is it, why is, why does it have the effect on us? It does, you know. And in here in Sitka, you know, the Russians brought alcohol as early as 1741. And our bodies, we, our bodies are sacred, and we are part of the fish. We are part of the ocean. We are part of the the cedar, we're part of all of the things around us. So that alcohol isn't a part of our Mm -hmm. system. It isn't a part of what makes us flow and grow, you know. 
and in their cultures, they grew with it and, and developed with it, but it didn't come from us. Mm-hmm. And it, like everything else, it has a spirit. Any spirit that you're around, if you want to make a relationship with it, you honor it. And, and I remember hearing stories of people who wanted to quit alcohol. They would put the bottle there and make offering to it and say, please leave my family alone. Back then, there wasn't any Native American AA, right? There wasn't any of that for us. And since then, because of our people being innovative and being brilliant thinkers and creative artists of life, um, we, the Red Road of Sobriety mm-hmm. was born mm-hmm. and, and shared and mm-hmm. cherished and passed on, and now it's all over mm-hmm. the country, and people have that to, to follow you know, Sitting Bull, there's a, he's known as one of the iconic uh, figures of Native American culture. And he said, when you're walking down this path, if you see something good, pick it up and use it. You know, make a relationship with it. Have it be a part of you. If there's something that's not good, leave it alone. Don't touch it. He didn't say destroy it, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is what I see about the culture mm-hmm. that has been dominated. They destroy what they don't understand. But on our path, as we follow our spirit and that balance that we create in our lives, we choose and, and respect mm-hmm. even what isn't ours and what we don't understand. So right. What you just said reminds me of what Ichtik Ish A.P. Johnson said in the story about the cannibal that the higher power, Hashagenya, the one who looks over us, told the young man if he was to kill the cannibal giant, he needs to treat it, the body of his enemy with respect, just like a loved one, because if he didn't, the cannibal would return. And that's what, what you just touched on just now. We have to treat whatever enemy that is with respect and leave it alone. If you were to, like, uh, I know that you're active in our community with this type of movement of living a good life and that you work at Sika Counseling, but I also know that you're, you're, you're active in the traditional doings. If you were to give like anybody advice in town that's one of our Native people that may be struggling or having issues with this, that, depression, you know, grief, loss, and alcohol or whatever, what, what, would you, what kind of advice would you like to give them? Or, because you've learned quite a bit in your lifetime from your, your, your grandparents' teachings. There's so many things that we can do that we need to remind each other of. First of all, we need to remember forgiveness, mm. first and foremost. And when I say that, I mean, all of us have a ton of stories of how we've been wronged how we've been violated, how we've been mistreated, how we've been hurt. And 90% of the time it's with people who weren't in their right mind because they were under the influence of alcohol or something else, right? Some kind of abuse. And that's been the trauma that our people have had to live through with Mm -hmm. the genocide. I'm a part of the American or Alaska Blanket Exercise, which came out of Canada, that um, actually lists... (laughs) How mm-hmm. it was systematic, this genocide, to, to actually get rid of us. And if they couldn't get rid of us, you know, to, to affect us in a way where we're, where we're supposed to get, forget who we are. Mm-hmm. And that didn't work. Um, we're, we still know who we are. But there's been a lot of that damage that we have survived. First and foremost, that's what I, want, I, I say to young people whenever all I travel, I say, you, we survived genocide. They came after every part of our lives, anything that makes you alive, a human being, your food source, your way of prayer, your way of living, the way you interact with family, all of those things 
tore that all apart at every cost, mm-hmm. every angle. Our medicines, our songs, our smokehouses, our dog sleds, you know, mm-hmm. that every part of how we live, they tore it apart and took it. And we're still here. Mm-hmm. We did not die. We did mm-hmm. not give up. So we come from those brilliant warriors that were consistent in keeping that relationship with the creator, keeping that relationship with the wind, with the rain, with this earth, with these waves, Mm -hmm. keeping that relationship strong with the trees, you know, all around us and using that medicine. You know, where I come from, sage grows wild and we use sage for everything in our sweat lodges and our prayers. We wrap it around everything it's a part of us and it doesn't grow here. Mm-hmm. So when I came back here, I was like, well, what do we have? And I learned about the cedar and the relationship to the cedar. That's why we have the cedar hats, the cedar headbands, mm-hmm. all these things, because that medicine is in the cedar, right? So going back to what you said is we have to forgive not only people around us, but mostly ourselves mm-hmm. and be gentle when we talk to ourselves. When you look in the mirror, you look and you say, oh, my nose is too big or my cheeks are too fat or my whatever you say. But that's the nose of your grandfather. That's the cheeks of your grandmother. Those are the lips of your, your father, your mother, the thighs of your grandmother. It's strong mm. that could hike in these woods and mm. carry pieces of wood and pieces mm. of, you know, resiliency strength that's up every part of us and they're in us they live through us mm-hmm. so when we look in the mirror you say darn you're beautiful mm-hmm. you know and and you're resilient and you're strong and you're amazing mm-hmm. and start changing the narrative and forgive ourselves because we didn't do wrong it was done to us but we were taught to think badly about ourselves and we do it with each other and that's oppression that's centuries old and you know we still have that beauty and that strength and that resilience and it's right here it's right in us mm. so even though that trauma is there there's still that beauty and strength and as soon as we make room for it as soon as we make that offering when you eat when you're eating you take a piece of your fish and you set it aside and you say this is for you my ancestors help me to make you proud help me to remember and i've spent a lifetime doing that and mm-hmm. And it works, yeah. <laughs> you know it, and and it's it's multi leveled I mean, it doesn't. It, we're never just healed and then we're done. It's it's constant. It's an everyday mm. thing. But that's what I tell people: forgive yourself, and that means all these things. Mm. The songs heal us. You know, the carving heals us. The walks in the woods, just hanging out with the trees, laying on the ground, and you know laying flat on the ground and just reaching in with all your energy and because our ancestors live there you know Mm -hmm. it's a part of us um and we're blessed here because we have all of that with us around Mm us and it's accessible to us so many people are grieving right now we've lost so many people and because of social media we hear about this person or that person and all our relatives that are crossing over you know Mm -hmm. um and so there's a lot for us to forgive ourselves over there's a lot for us to be gentle with ourselves over and that's what i tell ask people to remember that Mm. and notice how much we beat ourselves up Mm -hmm. you know when you say something negative in your head say stop replace it with something else what can i replace it with Mm. no i am strong and and our voices you know our people used our words like medicine we didn't 
just shout stuff out willy nilly. Mm-hmm. Every syllable has deep meaning. Yeah. And when we put those words together, it makes medicine. And you start noticing the things that were burdening you before are lifted, you know, mm. and, and it's, it's baby steps, but it, mm-hmm. it's, and we have it all with us, with our culture, with our songs, with our teachings, with our taking care of our elders, taking care of our children. Ah, he 
Gunnar Chish for listening to Hashlich Kohas Ha'i Tuat, our grandparents' teachings. We've had some very powerful speakers in our studio today and sharing with their uh, everyone their traditional knowledge. Uh, we've had Ichtik uh, Ish, Steve Johnson, sharing his thoughts on his grandfather's uh, um, traditional teachings to our people and how that blended with Mr. Bob Sam and how he shared the cannibal giant story uh, to Mr. Bob Sam when he was a young person and how powerful that was for him and his personal um, uh, wellness journey. And then also Miss Lakota Hardin and sharing also with her traditional teachings and what she does nowadays here in Sitka to help uh, promote uh, living a good lifestyle. So we want to thank our guests for coming in today and we hope that you enjoyed what we had to share with you on how our people live a good life and how to what are some ways that we can do that together. Gundal Chish, again for listening, and we hope that you enjoyed what we have shared with you. Thanks for joining us to learn from our grandparents' teachings. Stay tuned next month to join for more stories, songs, and traditional ways of living. If you would like to hear previous episodes, search Our Grandparents' Teachings anywhere you find podcasts. If you have a story you'd like to share, please reach out at storytelling at kcaw.org. We'd love to hear from you. This show is supported in part by the Sika Tribe of Alaska, the Alaska Humanities Forum, and the National Endowment for the Humanities.